Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham, and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. Today is a special and unique conversation for the Evergreen Way podcast. We're going to dive into some topics and ideas that I don't think we've ever really explored. And I am so privileged to welcome my friend, Michaela Van Dyke, to the conversation. She leads a great resourcing ministry that you need to check out for your church called Chasing Sacred. And they develop journals and Bible study guides, particularly with a focus of helping disciple women in your church to understand the richness and the depths of scriptures. And we talk about that today. We talk about how churches all across the spectrum of leadership styles, how they can do a better job uh, of leading with humility and empowering women voices within their context. And I just love her testimony. I love that she has just pressed in. She is uh, a third culture kid, which she mentions, grew up in Thailand uh, as a missionary kid and now lives not too far from me here in New Hampshire and is leading this incredible ministry. This is a rich conversation. One thing before we jump into that, if you wouldn't mind, if you're listening around launch day of this podcast episode or around launch day weekend, would you say a prayer for us? We are headed into Converge Northeast Advanced Conference. Uh, we are gathering leaders from all over our region to be able to equip them to do effective ministry in the local church, which is what we're all about. And I would just really appreciate if you would say a prayer for us. October 13th and 14th, those are the days we're gathering in Hudson, Mass. Uh, if you want to know how to pray, and there's still time to join us last minute, go to advanceyourchurch.com, advanceyourchurch.com. I'd love to hear from you. Let me know what you think of this conversation. You can find me on the socials. You can connect with Converge Northeast, send us a direct message, or go to convergenortheast.org, and we would love to hear from you. But without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Michaela Van Dyke. Well, today my special guest is someone who I've known for many, many years and get to follow her journey along. And I'm really excited to engage with today. Michaela Van Dyke, thank you for jumping on the Evergreen Way podcast. I'm super excited to be here and excited to have this conversation today. That's awesome. And uh, there's a lot more to this story in a macro sense, but your grandfather started a ministry that ended up being the first place that I get to serve in vocational ministry where I met Bethany. And so we have a lot of uh, mutual heritage in our lives. And uh, some of that I'm sure will come out as we talk today. But today, uh, your your life is very full and a lot of things we're talking even before we start recording about that. Give people a snapshot of what you're up to and what uh, takes up your time and your days and what you're investing your, your energy into today. Yeah, for sure. So um, as Andy said, I, my name is Michaela Van Dyke, and I am primarily a mom, a wife. Um, I have five kids. My oldest is eight, and my youngest is one. But I do a lot of work in ministry. So I stumbled upon kind of working in ministry, not because I was seeking it out, but I think the Lord was leading me in that direction all along. I always loved the Word of God and studied it as a kid. My parents were Bible translators, actually, and I had grown up as a missionary kid overseas. And so I had just like this beautiful heritage of just wonderful, godly parents and kind of just knew so much about the Word of God, but I never was ever set out like, I want to do ministry. So 
I stumbled upon getting into ministry really haphazardly. I was in a season where I had moved to New Hampshire, which is actually where Andy lives as well. Andy and I both live in New Hampshire, so wild. But um, And I moved to New Hampshire, and I was just so stuck. I had a new baby, and I just felt completely alone. And so I really took to studying the Word just constantly. I used the Lord as my source of encouragement, and it was in this season that I started posting online. So Instagram was kind of a new way people were expressing themselves, and creatives were kind of getting on there and telling their thoughts, and I just used it as an outlet. And so I started kind of just telling people what I was feeling. I was really raw and honest. I'm not doing well. This is what God is teaching me in this season. And it was just amazing to see kind of how many people related to that raw honesty. And so they started commenting, I'm not doing well either. You know, I can't believe this encouraged me so much. And so it really started growing through that. And it was through that season that the Lord led me to start a ministry. And so I started a ministry and now I'm an author. Um, So my days are really filled with writing and running a ministry, making resources, um, leading women's ministry in my church, and then my five crazy kids who I share about all the time online and all the wild antics they do. Well, one thing that definitely comes through in your communication, uh, whether it's on Instagram or wherever you are, is authenticity, which is great. I mean, we resonate with that. But there's also, there's authenticity, but there's also truth. And I think that that's the two things that I think you've brought together. Um, So as you think about Chasing Sacred being the name of the ministry that you lead, like what what would you say is like the heartbeat of the work? Or what is the problem that you're trying to, to solve as you've kind of now worked this out over time and been able to kind of live with it for a little while? Yeah. So I think with Chasing Sacred, there was two things that I was seeing when it came to biblical resources for women that I felt like were not being met. And this actually happened first when I started writing and I was very like emotional. I'm a very emotional person. Um, But through that, as I was writing and writing these authentic raw posts, I realized I also needed that backbone of truth. So in this kind of journey, I felt like the Lord was leading me to go back to school. And so during this time, I went back and got my master's and I realized like, oh my word, although I had grown up in the faith and I had these missionary parents who translated the Bibles, there was just a huge gap in my knowledge. And it was through this biblical hermeneutics class, which is how to study the Bible, that I literally was like, I thought I knew everything. And it was really humbling, honestly, to learn that I really did not know how to study the Bible um, in the ways that they were teaching me. So a little bit more accurate, looking at the historical and cultural context, obviously, not a little bit more accurate, accurate. And it was through this class that my eyes just opened up and I was like, wow, I needed this. Like I needed that backbone of truth and I needed that in my writing. And so as I journeyed forward, I realized that the way that I learned how to study the Bible completely changed my life. And I realized through it that it wasn't rocket science. And I was wondering why I hadn't learned it and why I hadn't heard about it talked in the church. And I had been to so many women's Bible studies. We had never once, I had never heard the word hermeneutics. I had never heard the word inductive Bible study. And I was like, this is just not right. Like, why am I being left out of this gap? And I don't want other women um, who don't have the finances or the ability to go off to get their master's in theology to be missing all of this information when we should be making it accessible. And so starting Chasing Sacred really came from this feeling from the Holy Spirit of just, there needs to be applicable resources that have the backbone of truth that also don't just kind of teach women about the Bible, but teach women how to do it themselves. So my kind of starting point was like, I want to teach them how to study 
the Bible for themselves, but I do not want to just, you know, spoon feed them. I want them to take my resources and then feel like, hey, I can replicate this. I don't even need Michaela anymore. Um, And so that is actually how Chasing Sacred started. And the total backbone of our ministry is that truth, but applicable, real life, raw honesty, but making sure that we're really honoring the word of God. Yeah, you, you hit on a passion point for me because I think that um, sometimes I refer to it in in the modern church, especially in the Western world, that we have what I call the accidental priesthood, where we don't we kind of go back to this this paradigm accidentally, but that is like the the pastors and the seminarians and the theologians that they are the ones that can kind of have the truth and th- that we can learn biblical things, so biblical truths that come that are anchored in scripture, but there's oftentimes a gap. Uh, between the pulpit and the pew in terms of our ability to actually engage with the scripture itself. And biblical literacy is a massive challenge for the church. And I think that 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 issue systemically impacts so many, whether the health of homes or the health of where our future pastors and church planters are going to come from. It just has so many impacts. So I I so much applaud what you're doing. Now on your website, you use an interesting phrase. You talked about inductive Bible study, which I want you to explain that. But you said the often infamous inductive Bibles. I don't know if you remember that you have that on your website, but I thought that was pretty funny. I don't know why you had that phrase. It's pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even realize I got to go on and change that. No, (laughs) that is hilarious. Yeah. Um, So inductive Bible study is what I actually fell in love with and the Lord really used to change my life. And so what it was is when I was taught inductive Bible study, I realized, okay, so there's like a process here. There's order to how I can study the Bible. And I'm genuinely like a more chaotic person. And so when I would read the Bible, obviously I've talked about being more chaotic, a little bit emotional, raw, and honest. And so this orderly way of studying the Bible was just so life-changing for me and life-giving. And so when I learned that there's this three-step process, so inductive Bible study, I would just explain it for the listeners that don't know what it is, but inductive Bible study is the idea that it uses inductive reasoning. So inductive reasoning would be the opposite of deductive reasoning. So how I always kind of give the example is deductive reasoning would be like, all right, we're going to start with the culprit. So Andy's the culprit, you know, and we're going to build our reasoning around that. So we think Andy, you know, did this crime and I'm going to start with Andy and then I'm going to make sure that all of the evidence is going back to Andy. So that'd be deductive. Now inductive would be examining the evidence and then drawing the conclusion after. And so it would be saying, saying, all right, what do we see in the Bible? And let's go back to scripture here. So I see that these key characters are mentioned. I see these key words are mentioned. And then I'm going to look at, you know, the historical context, the cultural context to then draw the conclusion of what the original intent of the author was. And so I fell in love with it because it has the three-step process and it's observation, interpretation, and application. So observation asks, what do I see? And, you know, you can do what do I see through looking at keywords or what are the repeated words? I love to look at repeated words. Um, you can do it in looking at contrast and comparisons in the text. You can make lists. You can ask, what is the atmosphere of this passage? Is it joyful? Um, is it sad? And then you kind of go on to this next part of inductive Bible study, which is interpretation. And that is drawing, like, what does this mean? And so you're asking, like, what does this mean to the original audience? What was the author saying? And what was the author communicating and to who? And you're kind of drawing these conclusions based off of the genre. So you would think about, okay, what's the genre of the, you know, the passage or the book I'm reading? So you could be like, this is an epistle, it's a letter. Or, you know, this is a historical narrative. And that's really going to really play into your interpretation. And so you're looking at all of these aspects, and then you're going 
lastly to apply. So apply is how does this apply to me? And I think obviously in scripture, it's so easy to start with the application, but then we don't glean all of the context of the text. And so this was like so life-changing for me because I think I'm naturally a teacher. That's kind of my gifting. And I was like, this is so simple and it's easy to transfer this information to somebody else. And why are the women in the church being left out of this? And that's what I kind of was really frustrated with was why do my girlfriends not know about this? And why am I just learning about this? And how can I now take this information and give it to anyone and everyone who's willing to listen? And so that is actually how I started my ministry. And then how I ended up making a journal that taught inductive Bible study. And now we make Bible study resources where we teach, you know, inductive Bible study and we teach that reasoning and we teach the women how to actually look into the text and feel like at the end of our Bible study, they could be like, I don't need Michaela's resources. I just need the word of God. And now I can figure out, you know, how, what I'm supposed to glean from the text and what, the, what is God's purpose in this passage and what is he saying to me so that I can then move towards application and my life can change from the word of God. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, I want to talk more about discipleship and about specifically discipleship for women in the church in just a minute. But are there some things that you have been, have seen as you've been teaching? teaching, because uh, you not only put out resources and have sort of an online presence, but you also teach in your local church, which is one thing that uh, I really respect about your ministry. But are there things that have been thematic, like the aha moments for women of like things that they just didn't connect or that were kind of gaps in their biblical knowledge? Because I think, like I was saying, like a lot of us grew up and we know, we might know the stories or we know different parts of the Bible. But sort of when it kind of the the light bulb went on, are there some th- themes that you've kind of seen over over the years? There has been so many light bulb moments for women, and I think now that I've been teaching it for so long, I often am reminded of the fact that at the very beginning, there were so many light bulb moments for me. Mm. Now I feel like it's old hat. So I'll be talking and kind of rushing through it. And so many women are like, wait, back up. I knew none of this. Like, why am I just learning about this? And nobody taught me this. And I have been in the word of God all my life. And so one of the things I like to say to women before I even start is you could be a baby believer and this is great for you, but you could also be a seasoned believer that has known and studied scripture all your life. And this can give you so much more insight into the text. And I think one of the things that people really are always like surprised at, I think is genre and how literary genre plays into our interpretation of scripture. And so what I've seen over and over again is like, yeah, I was taught this in English class. I was taught how to approach, you know, script, you know, a book. I was taught when it was fiction and nonfiction. I was taught when it was like history. I was taught when it was a letter. And they're like, but now when I read the Bible, I was never taught that we should look at it as literature. And so we should look at an epistle and think, okay, my first question is, it's a letter. Who is Paul writing to? Or, you know, who is the author writing to? And then what is the purpose and what is the intent? And then also gathering information on that. And so I think when they've kind of like grasp the fact that genre plays such a huge role in interpretation. And then I've been able to explain to them, you know, where does some of these false teachings go wrong? Where does the prosperity gospel misunderstand genre or, and all of this really comes into interpretation. So once they get these tools, I see these women being able to explain to their family members and say, actually, that's not, you know, a promise to us. It was a promise to the Israelites and we can take the general principles from the passage, but it's not specifically a promise to me. And so it's fun to see them kind of click and you explain to them how they can then explain to that family member or how they have come to believe what they have come to believe. And so all of them kind of come to this teaching and the Bible studies that I lead and they're like, 
hey, I knew that that was wrong. I didn't know how to explain it. And I knew that that was right because in my, in my gut, I knew it was right, but I still couldn't explain why it was right and wrong. And so I think there's all that as well. Um, so it's been really fun to see kind of just all these, I mean, there's just so many, too many to even explain light bulb moments for these women. Yeah. I mean, similarly, you know, having worked in ministry and followed Jesus for over 40 years, you know, I'm in a season where I, I get the privilege of being in an education environment. And it's, it's kind of beautiful because like, I feel like I have so many of the dots in the puzzle, but to be able to draw the lines in new ways and even understand again, similar, like maybe I understood this, but how to articulate it and to really deepen, yes. you know, deepen the language of not just having abstract knowledge, but actually having understanding, which, you know, that leads to wisdom, yes. you know, so that's a, a powerful thing. So, um, yeah, this is, this is for all seasons and all stages of, of life that we could, we have the privilege of interacting with, with scripture, um, in that way. So, yeah, you have a newer, newer resource, a Bible study guide, like tell me what, what's in that and what does that kind of break down? Yeah, so Bible Study Guide is our newest resource, and basically it get, it takes every single book of the Bible and explains it, and so it's really supposed to be a resource. It's almost like you took your study Bible, but then expanded upon it, and then had like the different themes to look for. It tells you what the gospel implications of each book of the Bible is, and then it has a huge timeline, and so we worked really hard on the timeline because what mm-hmm. I would find is that I would look at four timelines, and I still wouldn't understand who wrote the book, when they wrote it, and like what time time period in relation to the other books, I was like so confused. And I was like, I just need a timeline that you can pull out where you can literally sit down and you want, you know, a real understanding of when this happened in scripture. And you can look at the timeline and say, okay, so this is in between this book of the Bible and this book of the Bible. And this is what was happening during the time. And so we really worked really hard to make a timeline that was really accessible to the reader. And then also really make, you know, a lot of the explanations that they should kind of like read our Bible study guide and be like, okay, this is kind of the things I need to be looking for. These are the things I need to have my head, you know, like my head wrapped around a little bit. And then I can really understand this book of the Bible a little bit more thoroughly. And so that is our last resource that we just created Mm. as a tool. Yeah. It's a great thing to be able to understand, like, you know, how does Nehemiah versus Jeremiah, what's their timeline? When did they actually live? And, you know, when did Paul write Galatians and, you know, those type of things just, um, they, you know, honestly, so much uh, beauty that gets unfolded from that too. I want to talk a little bit about about social media, which is, uh, you know, we kind of grew up in an era where like the, the social media was like the, the Wild West, this great frontier of hope and opportunity. <laughs> and then like now we're kind of in this era where it's like, well, we see the upside and we see the challenges and the downside of it. Um, and, you know, you you have, uh, a, you know, incredible platform on social media. But at the same time, there's a lot of people putting out a lot of content online. It's an ocean. Um, and there's all what, you know, there's influencers, there's spiritual influencers online. And so how can we be discerning about the people that we are following, listening to, and kind of making sure that that space becomes something that's actually edifying to our souls? Yeah. So this is a huge dilemma, I would say. Um, And I think social media has a lot to do, more to do with our spiritual formation than we get give it credit for. And so what I've seen is, as you have kind of put it as the Wild West, is that when I first went on social media, I felt like it was leveling the playing field. And it really made me feel like, you know, everyone was on the same page theologically. That's what it felt like. A Christian is a Christian, right? And as I got kind of a little bit more wise and a little more discerning, I realized that what happens is it actually kind of muddies the theological waters. So you could be finding someone and thinking, wow, this person is really, really 
resonating with me and their words are really resonating with me. And then, you know, 10 posts later, or even a year later, you could literally find out that they are a Mormon. I mean, it's like, that is how crazy social media is. And so if we are not discerning of the voices that we listen to, I think we can get really sidetracked and really come to think that certain things are truth that are not truth. And so what I have seen throughout kind of this whole thing was actually an alarming amount of voices that have platforms that do not know how to study the Bible and do not know how to declare truth. And although this made me like first just kind of frustrated, I think now it just makes me like, okay, let's let's arm them. Let's give them the tools they need. I don't think most people are going on there purposely to mislead other people. I really try to have a gracious perspective of this is somebody acting in ignorance and maybe I could reach out to them and see if, you know, I can help them. And so there's this huge thing now where also like the authors that you're reading, I think it's really important to be discerning that most of the authors you're reading are actually people with big platforms. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they um, have the wisdom or kind of uh, even the obedience to Christ of a, somebody that we should be emulating. And so what I try to do is really keep that in perspective. And what I do is I actually first search for church accountability. And so when I'm listening to a new voice or looking at a new voice, I actually look and see, are they accountable to a church? Are they affiliated with a church? Um, what is their theological background? And then what is their schooling like? Have they gone to school? And if not, um, you know, do they have a mentor? And so what I've kind of seen in this space is actually the idea that charisma or um, kind of outweighs character. And often it's a little concerning to see that most speakers and influencers and authors are not under the church anymore. Um, they're kind of just doing their own thing. And so one thing that we've made a huge priority at Chasing Sacred is to be under my local church and to be involved in my local church. And all of the girls that write for Chasing Sacred, it's very important to us that they are involved in a local church. You know, we ask, what church are you involved in? Are you in leadership in your church? Who are you accountable to? Um, what is your faith background? What is your denomination? What are your beliefs? Because I think often we're listening to people, we don't even know what they actually believe. So there's just so much to be weary of, but then also there's so much camaraderie that is to be kind of acknowledged of the fact that now we're seeing so many people from so many theological different um, differences, you know, coming together in one unifying purpose, which would be the gospel. And so there is some points of social media that are very unifying and exciting to see. Um, but I would say like, even in terms of listening to voices on social media, I seek out older, wiser individuals. Also, I try to make sure that I am looking for people that are a lot older than I am and I am liking their posts and encouraging them because I think what we're seeing also is a generation of people who are looking to their peers for information and not looking to the expert or even those that are wiser and older and have more life experience than us. And so I have quite a few women that I kind of look to online that are a lot older than me, um, more so my mom's age. And I think I find so much um, wisdom from their posts because they've already been through the seasons I'm in. And so I think it's really wise as a consumer of social media to try and seek out those wiser voices and try to seek out those that are accountable to their church. Hmm. Yeah. You put a lot of wisdom in there. I think, you know, just your opening statement that these are more formative than we actually probably give credit to is such a good yeah. caution to us and to be 
like any area of our life, like we can easily, if we're not intentional, um, you know, an analogy that Bethany uh, uses, I heard her use it this last weekend as she was speaking, uh, Bethany being my wife, for those of you who are listening, but um, she was talking about how rat poison is only 2% poison and it's 98% not. And um, again, there's disagreements and like, we don't have to be perfectly aligned on secondary issues of theology, but if we're not careful the most dangerous thing to our faith are things that kind of sound good that have a degree of resonance and a measure of truth, but then could easily lead us into really dangerous uh, places. And so I appreciate um, your, your words. I would say if you have a question on these things, like, and I mean, part of it too, is for us accountable also means just being open about it. Like if you have somebody that you're following, like ask other people who are your mentors, who are in your church, who are in your circles, what do you think about um, this influence or this voice or this author? Um, it's just a really important cause you, you, you got a one, one minute reel. You don't really know, <laughs> like you said, yeah. where a person's coming from. So, right. yeah, I see that all the time with even sermon clips or speakers and things like that. And again, you know, God can use whatever he wants to, um, to, you know, propagate truth, but we need to be discerning as followers of him. And I think it's a really, really important, um, thing for us to think about. So, Circling back around, um, again, I love that you bring it back to the local church is partially why um, resonates so much with your your ministry. Um, talk to me first. I want to talk about what the church can do, uh, you know, broadly, uh, and by the church, I mean us, in terms of improving discipleship with women. But talk a little bit about what your involvement uh, at your church, Hope Fellowship in Jaffrey, what that looks like. Yeah, I would start out by saying my local church has really, really been such an amazing part of my journey as a believer. Um, I kind of was church shopping and looking around and I just knew like I had been reading in seminary just about how it was like kind of this analogy as well about if you have an eagle, like a person, a young leader, and they are coming to a church and looking around, they will find a church that is going to let them soar. And so they're going to keep looking. And so I had joined several churches and I just felt like my voice was not needed or listened to or appreciated. Just, I was young, I was a woman, but I just knew that God was calling me to vocational ministry. And when the Holy Spirit is just prompting you for something, you really, you just have to listen. Like he is going to make it so apparent in so many ways. And so when I settled on my local church, I cannot tell you how encouraging the pastor and his wife were. I mean, it was just night and day to what anything else I had experienced. And they just right away asked for my opinions on different things. I mean, I had the pastor and his wife ask me before a sermon one time, you know, a woman's perspective, a theological perspective on part of the parts of the sermon. There was just such a humility um, that came from the pastoral team at my church that it literally has helped me and just helped me soar. And I could not say enough amazing things about the way that my local church operates in such a godly manner. I think so many women that I've talked to has had such a different experience going to their local churches where they just felt like, okay, I was a woman. My voice was not needed or appreciated. And I think the very opposite has happened at my church where it was like, listen, like we want your perspective and we want to know what's needed at this church to come alongside women. Like how can we put you in a leadership position so that you can help us see a woman's perspective. And it was so refreshing and so needed because I think I had had so many conversations with um, some of my unbelieving friends and almost like 
teetering friends who were kind of like, I don't know, you know, about this Christianity thing. And I would have to say that almost all of their um, kind of problems with the church had to do around women. So it was kind of these girls that were just like, listen, I've heard they do not treat women well in the church. Their voices are not desired or wanted. There's kind of this hierarchy that pushes women out. And it was a conversation I heard over and over and over again that I went in with fear and trepidation to my local church and the way that they surrounded me and have supported Chasing Sacred. They have done Chasing Sacred's Bible studies. They've let me teach Bible study workshops. They've let me um, kind of tailor the women's ministry with my pastor's wife to whatever we feel is needed for the women in the church. And being a young woman coming into the church, it was like literally probably the impetus of so much of my ministry. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, shout out to uh, Jordan and Jamie Moody, who we both <laughs> love and I uh, think the world of, of them and their leadership and, and marked with humility. I mean, what a great example um, that is. Um, yeah. Do you have any counsel for people who might not have that same experience though? If they're yeah, yeah aspiring, you know, I, yeah. What would you say? I don't feel like many people have that experience. And I think that's kind of what I want to bring to light is that you can, like, I think as far as like a pastoral team, like I would talk to the pastors, like in what way are you welcoming women's voices outside of the children's ministry? I think what happens is we feel like we get sidelined to the children's ministry and that um, the, there just always needs to be kind of men overseeing every end of kind of the church, but how are you welcoming women's voices into every part of the church in a way that they feel like they are, their needs are being met and that they are taken seriously. Like a lot of women now are wanting to be taken seriously. They want to learn how to study the Bible. They want to learn theology. And the more they're taken seriously, I think the more they realize there is a place for me here. It is a place at the church and they're not going to just go to these social media influencers, which I think is what I see happening is, okay, there's no place for me to speak in the church. There's no place for me to kind of um, have that backbone here. I'm going to go to social media and tell everyone what I think because social media levels the playing field and here I get to talk and be listened to. And so I think we would actually see a huge kind of um, backbone of truth of the church, which we have there for that accountability and that backbone really operating in the way that it should be because my church and the elders at my church know that if I'm saying something on social media, they come to me and they can tell me, absolutely not, Michaela, you cannot say that. And so knowing that I have that gives me the freedom and also kind of that um, confidence to talk on social media. But then also I think knowing that they have my back and that they've loved me through every season um, is a way that I also feel like it's not just kind of like me trying to get my voice heard, which I see a lot of what I feel like is a lot of women, you know, this is my personal opinion, a lot of women going to social media to hear their things spoken to them. So like I would go to social media and be like, okay, you know, I have this woman's issue and I know somebody online in social media is going to be talking about it to me, but I'm probably not going to find that information from my local church. That is the problem right there. And I think if the pastoral teams and the pastors could bring that information to the local church, I think you'd see a lot more women getting plugged in and being like, wait, you're talking about the things I'm asking about. I need to know this. And I want to know this from the local church in a way that is, you know, we're, we're protecting that backbone of truth instead of going to who knows who to answer these problems for me. 
Yeah, I want to I want to double click on this a little bit here because I think that there's um, there could be a lot of assumptions made, um, you know, within our network of churches with Converge. We have churches that have divergent views in terms of sort of gender roles within the leadership of the church and what uh, offices of the church could could function that way. We have a broad spectrum of that, and the thing um, that I think you're actually leaning in on here. Um, there's actually one resource that I would recommend uh, that has been really helpful for me is, uh, I don't know if you know the book by Katie Cole, it's called Developing Female Leaders. Um, she, okay, she, no. it's a good, it's a good book. And, and I'm not necessarily, again, endorsing everything that she's ever written, but the thesis of the book is to challenge churches to live up to their own theology. A lot of times what happens is a church might have sort of a, um, a theological position that let's just say that they're a church. They say that men need to be elders and, and preach on Sunday mornings. And that that would not be an office that a, a woman could hold. Well, that might be that that might be the, their perspective, but then they are actually in function limiting women from doing anything except for answering phones and doing the nursery. And so they're not really even living up to their own theology, and they're accidentally not so aligning those two things. And so having corporate convictions on on how you're going to function as a church and governance and leadership is critical. If you don't have that, believe me, that will come back to get you as a church. At the same time, not living up to your corporate convictions and aligning what you're saying, create the spaces that you have available and invite the voices into the table. I think there's just such a critical, critical missed thing. And that's where our corporate convictions easily fall into misogyny and patriarch right. yeah, type of thinking. And with, like with those two things being misaligned. And so it's been, even as I've consulted with churches sometimes and uh, there's one church I was was working with one time, and I said, you know, there's there's really nothing in your in your theology that says a woman couldn't read scripture on stage, be a worship leader, like all these things. But mm-hmm. but functionally, I come on Sunday morning. I never saw a woman on on the platform in any capacity, right. and that that delta, uh, you know, if, again, if you have a theological conviction that's driving that that operating thing, that's one thing. But if it's not aligned with what you actually believe as a church you're actually reinforcing and, and you're preaching a message on accident uh, that is communicating something very directly uh, to the women in the, in the church. So anyway, I hope. Yeah. I hope. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because to, just for a little bit of like, I guess, um, background is my church is, um, you know, male headship in the church. We have a, the head pastor is a man and then we have elders that are men. So that is the traditional church mindset that I actually am under. And that's the type of welcoming I have gotten. And so I think that's kind of what it's not so much about like this, you know, the way that the hierarchy and all that, that I'm talking about, it's more so that I felt welcomed into a church that is very traditional, um, church, you know? And so I think when I think about what you just said, I think it's so true because a woman will look for their representation anywhere. And so when you said, okay, this is what you believe theologically, and yet there's not a woman singing on stage and there's not a woman that has been allowed to read scripture. I actually look for those things. And so I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think if you don't know my faith background, you might not know even the church that we go to, but I think it's really interesting that I have felt so welcomed into the church my church at large. Um, and it's not in the ways that you would kind of, you know, you're clearing that up. So no, it's good because there's, um, you know, this is true of us personally, and it's also true of us corporately, but there's the convictions we hold and there's the way we hold our convictions. So there's the position and the posture. And what you're Mm -hmm. talking about is the humility of posture 
that your leadership mm-hmm. is, you know, which is embodying Christ-like leadership, frankly, like <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the good news. But, um, and so I think that that is really what, uh, and again, this is, this is obviously a hot button issue, but there's ma- a myriad of things that if as a church, we need to look at and say, are we clear on our position and are we Christ-like in our posture? around these two things. So anyway, you got me on my little uh, soapbox a little bit. (laughs) I know. Honestly, though, I love that perspective. I think it's so needed and honestly really helpful because I just feel like even just with the way that my church operates, I have felt so seen. And so to just even ask a woman in your church, are you being represented Mm -hmm. in the way that you want to be represented? I think it's more about the humility of just asking. Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, it, there's a difference between input and authority too. And so like we can, we can navigate sure. these things in, in uh, some really, really good ways. Well, anyway, that was a, that was a fun little rabbit trail to chase down. <laughs> we can uh, send your anger emails to uh, uh, chasing sacred. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'll be happy. I'll be happy to answer maybe them. We should, maybe we should cut this part of the podcast. <laughs> no, it's good. These are real life issues. And I think um, especially as we're talking to a lot of emerging leaders uh, who are in their first or second decade of ministry. Um, I think that these are just critical things that uh, we also, again, similar to what you said before, we need to create the language. Like sometimes we know there's a problem in an organization or in a church, but if we actually have to learn the language to be able to, to have these conversations. So um, that's yeah. a really good thing. So, but leaning in on the side of um, women's uh, discipleship, within the church. Um, I mean, some of these are going to probably overlap with stuff you've already talked about in terms of passions about inductive Bible study and stuff like that. But um, what do you think, um, what have been some of the lessons in terms of, as you have actually put this into practice um, with your church? Yeah. As far as um, you're asking, as far as um, discipleship with women. Yeah. Like where have you found traction okay. and what, maybe something that you, you tried that didn't work either. Maybe it could be even just more yeah. programmatic or, or practical. So. For sure. So um, currently I lead women's Bible study with, so my pastor's wife and I lead it together. And we started out with using the Chasing Sacred Journal to teach inductive Bible study. And so what we would do is we would pick a book of the Bible and we would really go through it with the women, teaching them how to study the Bible for themselves. And this was absolutely life-changing for all the women in the study. They just felt so empowered and they felt like they could take this and kind of apply it to any area of their life. And so we've done that. We've also done some of Chasing Sacred studies, and then we've just honestly done a lot of workshops. And so like this one that we've been doing recently is we taught women how to search for themes in scripture, and we did that through a Nancy Guthrie book. Um, So we do switch up kind of like the different books, but we do provide a lot of resources for them. And so we've done um, going through, you know, the tenets of our faith and we've gone um, through different doctrines. So we taught like one day I was like, you know, let's teach them how to distinguish between a primary doctrine of the faith, a secondary doctrine of the faith and tertiary issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that was life changing for women. They couldn't even believe that I could give them or not. I, Jamie and I, could give them the verbiage to really have these conversations around them with people when they did disagree on faith Based issues. And when they were having the discussions, like we just did about women in the church. And so they were kind of given these resources to say, that's a primary doctrine. And then they learned, you know, what is a secondary doctrine? And we taught them all about each of the doctrines. And then what is something that, you know, we can agree to disagree on. And, you know, there's this Christian courtesy involved. And so the way that they kind of, we expressed this and we talked about this as groups and we kind of discussed it really helped them to then kind of deal with certain primary doctrines of faith that they saw were being, um, 
maybe kind of like, you know, primary doctrines of faith that weren't being upheld. And then they were able to go to their friends and family and say, well, actually, this is a primary doctrine of the faith. Like, we cannot disagree on this. Like, this is orthodox or non-orthodox, you know? Mm. And so it really helped them in so many areas of their life. And I've been so surprised at just the ways that having these conversations has helped these women in just their everyday conversations. Like, you wouldn't believe how, you know, the backbone of our faith really does influence all of our lives. <laughs> Yeah, you. I mean, I think that this this is a, a just a keystone of discipleship is when the, when we get disordered in what is a primary or secondary doctrine, what are convictions, whether it, again as individuals or as as churches. Um, you know, I, a common area that I'll, I'll see this conversation is just I think about this a lot because of having kids. But like, uh, what is God's? How should we school our children? Would be a, a common yeah. thing, and that's that is a massive weight and burden that every parent needs to carry. Like there's no, no, like we don't want to diminish that, but we need to be able to discern between the difference between the principle of like, God has given me the mandate to shepherd the hearts and the minds of my children. And I am the primary discipler of my kids. And then the modality of how that is going to happen. Um, and you know, we've all, I, you know, there's not a wrong or a right way to do that as long as you are living up to that mandate that we have. And those are, those things breed great division uh, when we're not aligned in those things. And so giving people the language and the tools, um, whether it's on issues of identity and human sexuality or how we school our kids or the role of gender, all these sort of hot button issues. It's not just teaching about the issue. It's also like you're saying, teaching about the framework. Um, you know, we don't just teach a Bible verse. We teach the framework of scripture. We don't just teach the issue. We teach these frameworks which is really theology, right? That's what we're talking about here. So that's a really, really yeah, good. Yeah, I think one helpful thing that they really felt like was super helpful was I explained kind of like those third tier issues as in like, okay, preference of dress or homeschool versus non-homeschool. And I was like, when you make those third two it third tier issues, like primary issues, it's legalism. And so we kind of had that conversation. And then I was like, and then when you make those first first two tier issues, like the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And you're like, don't worry about that. Like, you know, it's not a big deal. And you make them a third tier issue. I was like, well, that's like progressive Christianity. It's unorthodox. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we had that conversation and just kind of that looking at those tiers and having them give them that verbiage to talk about it. They were like, wait, oh my word. Yes, I totally get this. And now I can talk to this friend that is telling me that because I, you know, put my kid in public school that I'm not a Christian and say, no, that's not true, you know? And I can talk to that friend that is saying, you know, one of those first two tier issues is not important and say, no, that's unorthodox. Hmm. Yeah. No, and it's the gift of church history and studying theology is that you learn that a lot of these debates, though the nuance of our day may may overlay it, underneath it is a common <laughs> church battle that has been going on for centuries. And, and uh, so that's a really, really good thing. Um, one one last thing I want to uh, just kind of get you to to share is um, I know that you you mentioned this before that online you've built a community you have sort of a cohort of different people that you follow and I mean there are some really well known speakers and authors that um, are very credible but are there some people that you would say check out these people they're uh, what they're posting what they're writing that may be a little less known that might be interesting for our listeners to check out yeah actually my really good friend um, Amy Gannett. 
is a great resource um, online. She's very theologically sound, but also very applicable. She comes out with kids resources as well. So if you're looking at family discipleship, she runs a program called Tiny Theologians. So she's a really good friend of mine. Um, Gretchen Saffles, she she runs Well-Watered Women, and she also has really great resources for women. Um, there's so many. So many of my friends are just doing amazing things for the Lord and have these beautiful ministries. So I would just start with naming those two. That's great. Well, and people can, uh, where can they find you online? I'm sure they could uh, send you a message as well and, and get more suggestions if they want to. For sure. So um, you can find me at chasingsacred.com. And then also I have an Instagram account for our ministry, which is Chasing Sacred. And then my personal account is Michaela Van Dyke, where I just po- post everything and anything. So you get to see an inside look at my life. Um, But also I talk about God and just kind of different topics that I want to talk about and go through. And your your beautiful family, including some boys that are true New Hampshire kids, uh, you will get to see that (laughs) if you jump online and they'll, you'll, that'll make a lot more sense if you, if you go and follow. So thanks so much for the, this conversation. I hope people go on, check out your resources and connect with you. Um, It's just been a gift to be able to have this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andy. And I'm just so thankful for what you guys are doing and how you're encouraging leaders and just your heart for the church um, and everything you're doing ministry-wise. So thank you for having me on. Thanks so much. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast, ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.